Hello and welcome to Living in Exile, a podcast for folks who are in the world but not of the world, and in the church but not of the church. My name is AJ Farley, and along with Amanda Hope Haley, I host this podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be listening in to a conversation that recently took place between Amanda and Mr. David Capes. David was the one of the lead scholars and writers for the voice translation that Amanda was so deeply involved with. Of course, the voice translation is the one that we use on the here on the Living in Exile podcast. It's one of our favorite translations. And David also hosts the blog on the Voices website. It's hearthevoice.com, and you can read David's writings there as well as uh, become familiar with other writing projects that he's been involved in. So without further ado, here's part one of the conversation between Amanda Hope Haley and Mr. David Capes, one of the lead writers from the voice translation. Um, how did you get involved with the voice translation project? Well, that's a really good question. I joined Ecclesia Houston, which is a great church back in the early early 2000s, and the pastor there is named Chris C. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris is a very innovative, uh, thoughtful uh, pastor, and he brought, he had this idea of a translation, and one day he took me to lunch um, at a place called Saltgrass Steakhouse here in Houston, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what he he had in mind, but he, he, toward the end of that meal, he broached the subject, he said, look, this is what I want to do, I want to do a, a different kind of Bible translation that focuses in upon the story of Scripture, where we bring together poets and writers to help scholars. And I looked at him and I said, Chris, you've got to be kidding. Do you have any clue what you're asking me to do to be a part of this? Because, you know, I have I have worked translating before books of the Bible, books like Philippians and Mark and things like short books. But this is the whole Bible. And uh, he really didn't have a clue <laughs> what uh, what this was going to be. But he had a great idea. And that idea caught on. So I, I guess my connection with my pastor, mm-hmm. uh, my connection uh, as a scholar who's been translating uh, Greek texts for years and some Hebrew texts, all came together. And all the relationships that we had, all that came together in just a beautiful way uh, so that I could be sort of the lead scholar on this project. Mm-hmm. What is the chronology of the book? How did how did it move from your conversation at Saltgrass to, you know, to becoming a Thomas Nelson published Bible? Well, before Chris ever um, talked to me, I think he had met Frank Couch, mm-hmm. who was uh, with at that time World Publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a division of Thomas Nelson, I think. I'm not sure exactly how all these. Uh, relationships work. But he had worked in Bible publishing for years, Frank had. And Chris had already approached Frank through a fellow named John Ames. Now, John had been the agent that Eugene Peterson used and worked with in the creating of the translation called The Message. Oh, yes. So John knew this whole process and what it was like. And Eugene Peterson, 20 years earlier or so, had started his own Bible translation called The Message, and John had helped shepherd through that project. And so I was working, uh, I came along uh, after I think the agreements had already been signed, but Chris needed somebody on the scholarly side to be able to champion the project and also to be able to uh, pull pull together scholars and writers and poets 
to pull this together. I think this happened probably around 2003, 2004 was when I first got started uh, involved with it. Okay. Um, well, so what makes this different? What, what was Chrissy's big idea? Yeah, I, I tell my students, Amanda, that every great book has a big idea mm-hmm. and try to understand the big idea behind the book. And, of course, the Bible is there's no bigger idea than <laughs> behind the Bible in general. So, uh, Chris, it really is, is the combination of several things. Um, the biggest and most significant is this, is, is the Bible uh, is, a, is a beautiful book. There's a lot of poetry. There's, there's a lot of great stories in the Bible. But Bible translation in the 1800s and 1900s had become very precise and, 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 and uh, uh, scientific. Mm-hmm. And so much of the beauty of the poetry is lost, and much of the grandeur of the story has been misplaced in trying to get the grammar just right and, and, and getting the, the thing put together in the ways that they did. And so Chris was wanting to return and to just rediscover the beauty and the grit and the humor that is in the Bible. The story itself had been lost in many, many cases. People were looking at the Bible just as a list of propositions mm-hmm. rather than as a great story of love and redemption. Mm-hmm. So Chris was saying, let's pull together scholars and writers and poets to, 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 to get it right, to get the translation right, but also to help us understand the beauty that's behind the poetry and the story. And I think that's the big idea that helped propel this project forward and make it uh, make it what it has become today. And I think I'm excited to be able to be a part of this. Well, how how has it been received? Um, I think so many of us read the Bible and we expect it to be very technical and very dry. I mean, are people understanding the idea that the beauty is actually inherent in the translation? Well, that, yeah, that's that's a good question. We we've had uh, I, I've been surprised, frankly, that uh, with the, the positive response to this project, we did this, uh, Amanda, for people eighteen to thirty five years old. Mm-hmm. But I have friends who are pastors in their fifties, sixties, seventies, and even one in his eighties. Mm-hmm. He just loves what we've done. Mm-hmm. They get it. They understand it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that has been very, very strong. Now, there's there's a movement uh, within the church, as you probably know, kind of a King James only movement that yes. there's only one English translation. We ought to stick to that. And the King James, very frankly, is a wonderful and beautiful translation. Yes, mm-hmm. it really is. Uh, people, uh, the, the people that I think there were 48 scholars, 24 from Cambridge, 24 from Oxford, who had worked on that translation. But they were not only scholars of Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek, but they were also in themselves great writers and poets. Think about Lancelot Andrews, for example. He was mm-hmm. the prince among them, I think. Mm-hmm. That's why the King James Bible is so artistically put together. That's why the cadence is so beautiful and memorable. The problem, of course, is that we don't speak that way anymore. Language is a changing thing, mm-hmm. right? So yes. so that's why we, we, we need... Uh, these these additional translations. One one of my favorite uh, translations, going back many years, is uh, the Phillips translation. I don't know if you're oh. familiar with it. Yes. But yeah, the J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips. Yeah, J.B. Phillips uh, translation. I mean, I grew up with the King James Bible, like a lot of people did, and I, I was eight years old trying to read the King James Bible. That wasn't easy. For, for me. But I wanted to read the Bible more and more. So eventually, when I went to high school, I, f- I met a fellow, a fellow named Malcolm Ball, 
who was working with Young Life, and they were using the, the Phillips translation. And he, he told me about it. He showed it to me, and I had a chance to buy one. Now, in 1947, when Phillips wrote uh, the first part of that, which was he was translating Paul's letters, C.S. Lewis wrote the introduction. To, oh. Yeah, and this is what Lewis said in the introduction to J.B. Phillips' Letters to Young Churches, 1947. He said this, The truth is that if we are to have translation at all, mm -hmm. we must have periodical retranslation. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as translating a book into another language once and for all, for a language is a changing thing. Mm -hmm. And most of us have been around long enough to see our language change, words change meaning, and the artistry of language change. Mm -hmm. So we had hoped to to kind of recapture that. And I, I think it was Eugene Peterson that said in the introduction to one of his books that every generation has the responsibility to retranslate the Bible for their day and oh. to put it in the hands of new people. So, I mean, I, I, those are two... Uh, for me, two uh, heroes, uh, C.S. Lewis and Eugene Peterson. So I'm just privileged to have been a part of a project uh, like this. Well, this, it, it sounds like there's a lot of precedent for retranslating the Bible. So why, why has the voice met with controversy? Well, uh, you know, we made some decisions um, going into it to do some things differently that had never been done in Bible translation. And when you do something differently, mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, it might be a good reason, but it's just different, and people aren't used to it. For example, probably the most, uh, I guess the the biggest example I can think of is this: in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, most people take the word Christ and mis misunderstand it. They think it's a name. Jesus Christ. Jesus is his first name. Christ is his second name. In fact, it's a title. And it's, it's a title that has, has come to us through a process not of translation, but of transliteration. Mm -hmm. The Greek word Christos, right, yes. became in Latin the Greek, the, the, the Latin word Christus, mm -hmm. which became the English word Christ. Now, in that process, people m began to misunderstand, misunderstand it and think it, it's a name, but it's a title. And so we said, well, let's rediscover the importance and the significance of that title. And that title is, is another way of saying Jesus is the Messiah. But even that is a transliteration of the Hebrew Hamashiach, Absolutely. which means the anointed one. So we went back to the original, the Hebrew and the Greek, and we said, let's translate the phrase Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed, mm -hmm. in order to help people understand that Jesus is his name and the anointed is his title. Right. But even with that, Amanda, it's not quite good enough because people, what is he anointed to do? What does he chose God to do? So there are times in the translation in the New Testament where we gloss that or we use what Daryl Bach called explanatory paraphrase to tease out the meaning of what it means. So in a few cases, you'll find this, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christus, translated as Jesus the anointed, the liberating king, yes. because that is what the the title Christos or Hamashiach means the royal the, the royal son of David whom God has chosen and selected at the right moment to enter into history in order to liberate the world from sin death disease corruption oppression 
That's who Jesus is. And we want to help people recapture that. So that was that was a huge translation decision. In fact, we made the decision not to transliterate any words. We transliterated names like Benjamin is Benjamin, mm-hmm. right? And right. Yeshua is Isaiah. We transliterated names, but not words. Words like apostle become emissary. Words like baptism becomes ritual cleansing or immersion. Um, so we, we, we did a lot of things in this translation that have not been done before in a Bible translation. And that has created, for some people, a controversy because they didn't understand exactly what we were trying to do. Back in April of 2012, the, the full Bible was published. Now, we had published the New Testament a year or, or two earlier, but the full mm-hmm. Bible came out in April, March, April 2012. And, and when it came out, there was, an, there was, an, it was a, a report about it in USA Today. And then that was picked up by CNN. And so CNN folks called me and invited me to come in and talk about it. And I was on uh, the morning show with Carol Costello. And and they they were very much interested in kind of trying to tease out, you know, why did we make this decision to translate Jesus the Anointed rather than Jesus Christ? And and I, I just shared with them the, the the significance of that and why we did it. And and what they did is they sort of turned it around, and they uh, I think sort of mischaracterized it on purpose, probably mm, saying that yes. Christ is missing from this new Bible. And that's not true at all. The person, Jesus of Nazareth, is front and center in the scriptures. I mean, I'm a member of the early high Christology club. I mean, I'm a card-carrying member, and that means that I would never <laughs> do anything like that. But what we did is we, we took the word Christ that people misunderstand and don't un- know what it means, and we translated that for the very first time. We're the first translation ever to render the meaning of that title as opposed to just simply transliterate it. And we think that's significant. And they chose to mischaracterize it in order to, uh, you know, to get a lot of hits on their website, which, which we found out they're pretty good at doing. And so that created a bit of a stir because when CNN says, here, here's a Bible where Christ is missing, mm-hmm. you know, people read that. They say, oh, gosh, what, what the heck kind of Bible is this? Price is yeah. missing. Price is missing. But no, they mischaracterize. Jesus is not missing at all. Jesus is front and center. The Old Testament looks forward to him. The New Testament tells us about him, and the Book of Revelation and other books tell us he's coming again. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing in in newspapers a discussion of of that scene in an interview, and it seems like. Our, our local reporters would also bring in some of those some of those preachers who were the, the King James only preachers yeah, yeah. and talk about them together and most of the time there wasn't a conclusion to the story as to whether or not the voice was a good translation so I'm, I'm wondering as a result of the controversy how did the voice fare um, did the controversy actually help it because it kind of got the name out there or um, did it do some damage because people still don't exactly understand the nuances of the translation yeah I, I think the answer really Amanda is both um, okay. I, I think it helped us get the word out there in some ways but it mm-hmm. also hurt us and I, I spent a good bit of time sort of doing damage control Uh, When a number of scholars and pastors who knew better uh, heard about it, they sort of did on their blogs and and on television and and on the radio, tried to address uh, the mischaracterization uh, that CNN and USA Today were were a a part of. 
and and try to set set the record straight. But that takes a little while, and some people never hear that. They just hear they just hear the first story. They don't hear the second story, or they don't put the two together. But but we have if you look on our website, we have a great website by the way. It's at www.hearthevoice.com, and on there, there there's the translation itself, and there's uh, there's blogs that we do. Uh, there's uh, videos on there. There's some great stuff on there. But we also have endorsements, and we have been endorsed by a lot of great scholars uh, who have worked on the project and some who haven't. We've been endorsed by a lot of pastors and church leaders and, and just people in, in parachurch organizations that get what we are trying to do, trying to develop not so much a, uh, a word study Bible but a story study Bible because we've missed the story. We want to try to get back to the great story. God didn't just give us a word or a proposition. He gave us these great stories. And if we'll study them, if we'll learn them, if we'll draw from them, because we as human beings, Amanda, I know you know this, we're hardwired to hear stories, to remember them, to share them, to to, uh, draw from them conclusions about life. That's just the way God made us. And, he, and, 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 and because of that, unfortunately, what we've done is we've reduced the Bible into a set of what Chris C. called manageable propositions. Mm-hmm. If you know these four things, you can be saved, right? If you know this, right. if you say this this way, you can. And, and in fact, life and, and grace and faith are, are, are more complex and deep and wonderful than that. If we'll just uh, take it seriously. You can find Amanda Hope Haley at her website, amandahopehaley.com. You can find A.J. Farley at his blog, wornoutbibles.blogspot.com. Both of us are also available on various social media platforms. Unless otherwise noted, scripture quotations are taken from The Voice. Copyright 2008 and 2009, Ecclesia Bible Society. Thanks for listening.